0: in distress, that they were facing difficulty, and that they saw their situation as dismal. And we'll be picking up today, we'll be looking at the fact that they were defeated. They were directionless. There was no one directing them. Uh, They didn't like their circumstance. They disliked their situation. They were defiled. And lastly, we'll be looking at they cried out or they were in a state of despair. Lamentations chapter 1 verses 1 through 11. Remember all flesh is like grass and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass weathers The flower fades, but the word of the Lord remains forever. Lamentations chapter 1, verse 1. How lonely sits the city that was full of people. How like a widow has she become. She who was great among the nations, she who was a princess among the provinces, has become a slave. She weeps bitterly in the night with tears on her cheeks. Among all her lovers, she has none to comfort her. All her friends have dealt treacherously with her. They have become her enemies. Judah has gone into exile because of affliction and a hard servitude. She dwells now among the nations, but finds no resting place. Her pursuers have all overtaken her in the midst of her distress. The roads to Zion mourn, for, no, for none come to the festival. All her gates are desolate. Her priests groan, her virgins have been afflicted. And she herself suffers bitterly. Her foes have become the head. The enemies prosper. Her enemies prosper because the Lord has afflicted her for the multitude of her transgressions. Her children have gone away captives before the foe. From the daughter of Zion, all her majesty has departed. A prince, princes have become like deer they find no pasture. They fled with our strength before the pursuer. Jerusalem remembers in the days of her affliction and wandering all the precious things that were hers from days of old when her people fell into the hand of the foe and there was none to help her. Her foes gloated over her they mocked at her downfall. Jerusalem sinned grievously. Therefore she became filthy. All who honored her despised her. For they have seen her nakedness. She herself groans and turns her face away. Her uncleanness were, was in her skirts. She took no thought of her future. Therefore her fall is terrible. She has no comforter. O Lord, behold my affliction, for the enemy has triumphed. The enemy has stretched out his hands over all her precious things, for she has seen the nations enter her sanctuary, those whom you forbade to enter your congregation. All her people groan as they search for bread. They trade the treasures, their treasures, for food to revive their strength. Look, O Lord, and see, for I am despised. This is God's holy word. And if we believe scripture, if we believe God's word is holy, if we build our lives upon the truths of scripture, we have to acknowledge two things that at first, if we're saved, we are children of God. It's the first truth. The second truth we have to acknowledge is that as children of God, we still have the propensity to sin. If we're truth, truthful to scripture. And since both of these truths are found In Scripture, there are truths of Scripture that we embrace. It's reasonable. It's reasonable to conclude that we will eventually be chastened by God. Because we sin consistently. Those who say that they have no sin, John says, is a liar. Romans 7 says that Paul, the great, the the apostle Paul, the the great apostle Paul, laid out even in his his life, said that sin was present with, with him who desired to do good. The reality is we're true children of God. The reality is we will sin consistently against God, against ourselves, and against others. When we sin, we should repent. But if we may remain unrepented, we put ourselves in, in God's path, which brings us to his discipline. But this is nothing to fear. This is nothing to have sorrow over because it's encouraging to know that God's discipline of us when we sin is proof of his love. Hebrews 12 and 6 says the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastens every son whom he receives. The the psalmist testified to this reality as we as, as Pastor Mark read earlier in Psalm 119 verse 67. The psalmist says before I was afflicted, I went astray. I went off the path. I sinned, but now I keep your word. Psalm 119 verse 71, he praises and said, it is good for me that I was afflicted, that I might learn your statutes. Oh, there's something good when we are afflicted, something that God is doing as he pours out his love upon us. And what the psalmist in these two verses that I just read, he, he, he's confessing that the affliction that he endured, that was sent by God, turned him back to God. They, ter- they turn him back to God and, and, and they, they put him back on the path of obeying God's word. This is the the benefit of afflictions. Scripture affirms that it is sometimes necessary for God to put his people in the furnace of affliction. Such afflictions consist of things like guilty feelings. Unpleasant circumstances. Loss of peace. Relational issues. Trials of mental affliction and physical affliction and even death, according to 1 Corinthians. Those who partake of the Lord's Supper and they partake in a wrong way. Paul said even some of those who have done that have died. This is a heavy topic. It is a a weighty topic and the reason lamentations is in our bible so that we can feel the weight of the consequences of sin so that we will turn away that we will rightly observe sin and its consequences and therefore turn to God in repentance the the affliction that God brings in our lives is difficult but it it flows from his justice and his compassion. Hallelujah. And the purpose of his affliction is to purge and refine the souls of his people so that we see him and his word to be the chief good in our lives. God purges us. He afflicts us so that we turn away from everything else and say, God, I need your word, that we would desire his word like sincere milk, like a child, like a baby that desires the word, uh, desires milk. We should desire the word of God. But sometimes God God has to send afflictions into our lives in order for us to get back on that path. To 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 get back on the path of loving God, loving Christ, loving His church, loving others. Sometimes it takes affliction. Mark Jones. If you, uh, this this is probably a book you probably need to go purchase. Mark Jones. Uh, wrote in his book, Knowing Sin, outstanding. If, if uh, you have funds, go purchase this book. Mark Jones, Knowing Sin. In this book, Mark Jones quoted Jeremiah Burroughs. And listen to Jeremiah Burroughs quote, or his statement, or his observation about affliction. He says, quote, any affliction, listen to what he says. Any affliction is to be chosen rather than any sin. Any affliction is to be chosen rather than any sin. He goes on and says there that there is more evil in any sin. The least sin than in the greatest affliction. He added under the greatest affliction is better to be under the greatest affliction than to be under the guilt of the power of sin. It's better to be afflicted than to be in sin, he is saying. Mark Jones also quoted in, the, in this book William uh, Gunnell and this is what he says. He, he says quote, God's wounds cure. Sin kisses kill. Sin kills, God cures. And God does this through affliction. And so as we now come to our text, we'll see and continue to see throughout our time and our study that our Heavenly Father, we'll see that in the lives of his people, that our Heavenly Father has brought chastening into their lives, to to expose their hearts, to 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 expose them to the natural consequences of sin, and to direct them back to His holiness. This lamentations is a, an example to us. It's an example that God has given in the scriptures to us to, to learn how to rightly observe what sin does in our lives. And to be brutally honest and truthful of the lamentations laid out for us as an example. So look with me at verse number five as we continue. Notice. In verse number five, that the enemies of Zion now have become her masters and she watches them prosper. Look at verse number five. Her foes have become the head. Her enemies prosper. Judah has that their state of being is that they have lost their national independence under God. they they now are under the the dominion of her enemies. And because of that, now that they are under the the dominion of her enemies, this means that there's no way out. They dominate her. They have become her head. They are in charge now. They go where her enemies say go. They do what her enemies say do. This exile for them now is a reality. Why, why is this so? Why is, why is it that her enemies have become her head and her enemies prosper? Well, this is a reversal. This is, again, is a reversal of fortunes. This is part of the curse of turning away from God, Turn to Deuteronomy chapter 28. Deuteronomy chapter 28, verse 13. Remember last Sunday, I said that all the the curses that uh, have been, uh, that God said would take place. If the people of God turn from him, all of them can be found in Deuteronomy 28. And as far as and also the blessings, the blessings and the curses. But look at verse 13. Deuteronomy chapter 28 verse 13. Notice what God said if if they obey. Verse 13, and the Lord will make you the head, not the tail. Who is the head now? The enemies of Israel. But here the Lord Said the Lord will make you the head and not the tail. You shall only go up and not down, (laughs) if you obey the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you today, being careful to do them. Look at verse number thirty-six. Turn over to verse number thirty-six. We're going to look at verse thirty-six and thirty-seven. The Lord, this is uh, uh, this when when they disobey. The Lord will bring you and your king whom you set over you to a nation that neither you nor your fathers have known. And there you shall serve other gods of wood and stone and you shall become a horror, a proverb and a byword among all the peoples where the Lord will lead you. Away. Look down at verse number 43. The sojourner who is among you shall rise higher and higher above you and you shall come down lower and lower. He shall lend to you and you shall not lend to him and he shall be the head and you shall be the tail. Turn back over to Lamentations. Do we not see this reality now in Lamentations? God's word is true. God's word is true. If you sin, there's consequences. If you obey, there's blessings. And because Israel, because of their unrepentant sin, the Lord allowed the Babylonians to become the rulers. And the people of Judah and Jerusalem have become the subjects. So they're defeated. They're a defeated people. And But who who has caused this to happen? Who, who caused this, all of this to happen? Notice her foes have become the head, her enemies prosper. Notice the text because, (laughs) because the Lord has afflicted her for the multitude of her transgressions. Notice it says that it is the Lord who has afflicted her. Notice that Lord is all capital. Yahweh The covenant God, the God who is making with them the covenant in Deuteronomy. The covenant God is the one who is afflicting them, the, the one who is bringing about these terrible circumstances, these miserable circumstances that they're going through. But this is encouraging because it is God who is doing the afflicting. Even though the Babylonians are, being, are the ones who have come in and they have destroyed Jerusalem, they have taken off the, the people of Israel to include all the children into exile, they're only the instruments. There's a buffer. There's a buffer between them and Babylonians, and that buffer is God. Babylonian is only an instrument of the Lord. And and it's important to note in Jeremiah, in the book of Jeremiah, Babylon, Babylon is used, the word Babylon is used 169 times. I think starting at chapter 20 of Jeremiah. Babylon is referred to 169 times. Guess how many times Babylon is referred to by name in Lamentations? Zero. Zero times. Why? Because the emphasis is not upon Babylon and what they're doing. The emphasis is upon what the people, this is what the people have brought about on themselves. And the focus is on the consequences of the the sins of the nation. So why is it that God has brought these circumstances? Yahweh has brought these circumstances upon them. Look at the text again, because the Lord has afflicted her for the multitude. Of her transgressions. God loved his people. And he had made promises to them, good promises. But he has also made promises that if they didn't obey, that there is negative consequences. And if God is true to who he says he is, whenever the the, the people disobey, God in his holiness will act and have to act. And he has. For the God has acted because of the sins of the people. God's affliction is, is, in a sense, a way that God is humbling the people in order for them to see the, the, their rebellious state. This is, this is what it looks like to turn your back on God. This is what it looks like to put your trust in what israel what they uh one of the things that they the reason why they uh they, they uh have made uh alliances with other nations one of the reasons why they made alliances with other nations because they thought that if they made an alliance with another nation that that nation or these nations would would help uh to keep God's judgment from coming up on them. Oh, they thought that we can kind of wiggle our way out. We can, God is not gonna keep it. God is not gonna gonna destroy. God is not gonna send a nation to destroy us because we have the temple. We have Jerusalem. We have alliances. We have Uh, and, And they were, they were also, they were bringing idols. They were bringing their own idols into the temple of God. And we can do that. We can come in here with our own form of doing church. They thought that they could somehow fix it to where, the consequences of their sin would not come upon them. But when God chooses to move, nothing can stay his mighty and powerful hand. God is afflicting her for the multitude of her transgressions. And if if God loves her, he must deal justly with their sin. This word, notice, Transgressions. This word suggests that there was that Israel was in outright rebellion or that they were revolting. They were they were revolting against the Lord's authority time and time again. This was a continual state for them. They were living in a continual rebellious state. Stay No. And, and 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 notice as as the Lord afflicted the, the he said uh, for the Lord, uh, uh, for the multitude of her sins, the Lord has afflicted her. Notice that no one is exempt. This, this is painting a picture of sin and its its devastation. It it doesn't impact just one part of life it impacts every aspect in one way or another, every aspect of life. Notice what Jeremiah says, her children have gone away, captives, children gone away, captives before the foe, captive, they are taken captive before the enemies. Those who hate Israel Even her children are taken away. Little children, those who are, this is, this is, remember, this is, this is truth. This really happened. This is not a fairy tale. Her children have gone away. Little children, those who are vulnerable are forced to go into exile. And some of those children, no doubt, was Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are examples. Children taken off to serve the enemies of God, taking away as captives into Babylon. And, and this signifies that the adversaries of Israel have supreme dominion, over Israel and Judah. Supreme dominion. Nobody is excluded. Notice in verse six. Gets even worse. They are directionless. It says in verse six, from the daughter of Zion, all her majesty has departed. The word majesty here refers to beauty and splendor. Turn over, turn over to Isaiah 62 real quick. Isaiah 62, verses 2 through 3. And this is talking about, uh, in a sense, this is the way Israel should always have been. Verse number two, the nation shall see your righteousness and all the kings your glory and you shall be called by a new name uh, that the mouth of the Lord will give. You shall be a crown of beauty in the hand of the Lord and a royal diadem in the hand of your God. And this is in a sense pointing forward to what God will do, but this has always been God's desire for Israel has always to lift her up so that others could see her beauty. And the most amazing thing about what God is doing, as we read through Lamentations and just how terrible it was for Israel, in order for them to get to really what we just what we just read, they have to go through affliction. In order to to be what God wants them to be, they have to go through exile and be afflicted by the enemy. But God's desire has always been been to to, to lift up, it says, uh, the daughter of Zion, so that all could see her majesty. Not that she had any majesty of her own, but that God dwelt among her. They were the people of God. And notice the text, her, her princes have become like deer that find no pasture. They fled without strength. Before the pursuer, Zedekiah, who was the king of Judah, had, had fled. all of his soldiers fled Jerusalem. And, later, and and later they were captured. The entire national structure of the kingdom no longer exists. Nobody is in power. The king is gone. The rulers have lost their authority. The religious system has collapsed, collapsed. The priests. Are no longer relevant. They were directionless. Look at verse number seven. They didn't like their situation. They disliked it. Jerusalem, remember, remembers in the days of her affliction and wandering all the precious things that were hers from the days of old. She remembered. The way that things used to be. But notice what brought this about. Affliction. She didn't appreciate the blessings. She didn't appreciate uh, the, the having uh, the presence of God uh, uh, among her. She, she didn't appreciate those things until she was afflicted. And then they remember how blessed they, they were, they once was. And, and, and they look back and they compare the former state that they were before the enemy had come in. Instead of experiencing God's blessing, now they are humiliated. And this is a spiritual principle that, that we're learning here. Because it, it is, and this is a tragedy, that, that we so often, that we only value the precious things of God when we have, when we feel the, the pain or sense the pain of loss for a season. You say, give me an example, preacher. You remember the when COVID kicked off. How many of us were saying, oh, when 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 the COVID restrictions was on, and we were we had to uh, stay in our homes, and we had to to uh, maintain minimal Manning here at the church in order to have service, and and uh, we you couldn't come out." How many of you said, oh, how we miss coming together. Oh, how we miss the time of fellowship with one another. I heard some of you say that. Do you still feel the same way now? Now that we have an opportunity to come out to to Sunday worship, we have the privilege of coming together for Wednesday prayer and Wednesday Bible study. Do you still feel the same way? Do you still appreciate and treasure the ability and the privilege of coming out to the house of God? Is it still precious to you? This is like us. God often awakens such a reflection in affliction. We were we were in a time of in a season of affliction. People were 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 getting COVID. We were in a time of affliction, and God was opening our eyes to the blessing that we have in this local assembly, and most important. God was using that time to draw us to himself. Lord, we want to come to your house to worship and to praise you. God was having mercy upon us because he know how fickle we are. When things are good, we don't really appreciate God like we like we should. And, and Jeremiah goes on. He says when her people fell into the hand of the foe and there were, was none to help her, her, foe, her foes gloated over her. They mocked at her downfall. Notice. Remember, Israel and Judah, they had gone and they were going after idols of the world. They were going after idols of the other nations. They were making alliances with the other nations. And remember that I said that they did this in order to, they thought that when it, when, 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 when God came, that they were somehow be in their corner. They're not in a, you figure, if you go after the things of the world, you make friendship with the world when you're down and out, you will figure that the world would come to your aid. That because you, you, they have given themselves to serve the idols of the other nations, they thought that they would come to their aid. (laughs) Said that her foes gloated over her. They mocked her downfall. They didn't applaud or congratulate her. Instead, they rejoiced over her downfall. And that's what the world does. Friendship with the, and I said this last Sunday, it doesn't matter what sphere we're talking about. If it's of the world, they do not like you. They do not like what God has said in his word. They do not like God. They do not like Christ. And for a season or a time, they may celebrate you. But when you need them the most, you won't find. Matter of fact, they'll be on Facebook talking about you. Notice what Jeremiah goes on and says. It says, Jerusalem sinned grie- grievously. Therefore she became filthy. And Jeremiah is all he's, he's doing is giving them a template on how they are to think about their situation. Jerusalem has brought about her own destruction. She persisted in sin, refusing to heed God's warning, and did not turn and repent. Now everything that made her distinct, that, the, the, that made her separate is gone. And she, she is now filthy. All, Jeremiah says, all who honored her despise her. <laughs> Why is it that they despise her? Because now they see her as she truly is. Notice the text. All who honored her, despise her for they have seen her nakedness. When 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 God took all the, the privileges and all the blessings away and God is in a sense putting her on display. This is what she really looks like. And sometimes God's do, God's do, He does that in our lives, and show this is what your heart really looks like. Put it on display where others can see. And it says here, all who used to honor her now they despise her. And not only that, notice what the text says. She herself groans and turn her face away as she sees her nakedness. She turns her face away herself. She can't stand herself. Look at verse nine. Her uncleanness was in her skirts. This uncleanness here uh, refers to uh, the the uh, the uh, menstruation uh, cycle of a woman, and and this intensifies her shame. She she's naked, and 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 her uncleanness, even when she put clothes on, is seen in her skirts. her sin, the the sin of the people had made her unclean before God. And now, she's openly clothed in filthy attire. (laughs) Remember that scripture? Our righteousness before God is as what? Filthy rags. She got filthy rags on. But this once again teaches us this is a spiritual principle. It is until we see our filthiness before God. When we when we see our filthiness before God it is then when we are able to see the beauty of Christ more clearly. Israel Judah ignored their spiritual sin. They ignored their spiritual state before God. Notice what the text says again. Thought and, and, and uh, in verse nine, her uncleanness was in her skirt. She took no thought for her future. <laughs> she didn't think about what was going to happen. She didn't think about the terrible circumstances that was going to take place. She took no thought for her future. Therefore, her fall is terrible. And 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 why? Why is it that that, that her fall is terrible and, and and she has found, Jeremiah goes on, no comforter. And he says, Oh Lord, behold my affliction the enemy has triumphed what why is this so turn turn to jeremiah chapter 3 <laughs> jeremiah chapter 3 verse number 8 Verse eight, verses eight through 10. She saw that and and go back up to go up to verse number six. The Lord said to me in the days of King Josiah, have you seen what she did? The faithless one, Israel, how she went up on every hill every high hill and under every green tree and dare played the whore. And I thought after she had, has done all this, she will return to me, but she did not return to me. And listen, and her treacherous sister, uh, sister, Judah saw it. We're reading about what ha- Judah now in Lamentations. Israel had played the whore, And God gave Israel a certificate of divorce. Israel went off into captivity. And Judah. Notice and and notice what what God says, yet her treacherous sister, Judah, did not fear, but she, too, went and played the whore. Because she took her whoredom lightly, she polluted the land committing adultery with stone and tree. Yet, for all this, her treacherous treacherous sister Judah did not return to me. Notice, with her whole heart. But she came back, but only in pretense. But in pretense declares the Lord. She didn't come back with a with a true heart. Why is that? Turn over to Jeremiah 17 and nine. You're familiar with this. This passage of scripture. Jeremiah 17 and nine. The heart. Is deceitful above all things, and desperately sick, who can understand? You see, beloved, we need God to diagnose us. And now I say we are experts at, at deceiving ourselves. We are experts. We are experts at twisting. Well, you know, God understands our situation. We we need God to diagnose our lives through his word. So she's defiled. There is no one to comfort and the enemy has triumphed. But there is hope. There is hope in verse nine. She has no comforter. And look at what what Jeremiah says. Oh, Lord, behold or see my affliction for the enemy has triumphed. Jeremiah entreats the Lord to see what is the implication here? The Lord is there. He's 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 helping the people to understand that even in the midst of, of, of all that is taking place, the Lord is there. He is present. And his power and glory is present as well. And notice verse 10. The enemy has stretched out his hands over all her precious things. For she has seen the nations enter her sanctuary, those whom you forbade to enter. Your congregation. The fall is so terrible that the heathen nations now enter the sanctuary of God, a place where they were never allowed. They are pillaging the temple. They are taking the things of the temple. And just think of. This reality in light of Psalm one one hundred. Psalm 100 verse 4, where it says, enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name. That is no longer taking place. The people of God can't even go into the temple. They're going into captivity. You see the reversal? Instead of praise, there's pillaging. Taking place, it reminded me of what Nora had told me about. And as I closed, New York, <laughs> she said that uh, that that in New York, churches that have closed, they've sold their buildings to the world, and the world turns. Uh, churches used to be churches in the clubs. I remember Alan uh, Connor with Northwest Bible Church. There was I can't I think it was a cannabis bill bu- uh, uh, a cannabis uh, a di- dispensary that wanted to buy their old church. It says for the nations have entered her sanctuary. Those who who, whom you forbade to enter the congregation. When a church collapses. The world takes over. And they come in and in in a in a in a in a physical way, they repurpose churches. Which is a shame verse 11, all her people groan, they search for bread, they trade their treasures for food to revive their strength. Jeremiah again entreats the Lord, look, O Lord, and see, for I am despised. To, in order to help us to appreciate what we read, have read, listen to Thomas Watson. He says, quote, as the hard frost in the winter bring on flowers in the spring. As the night ushers in the morning star. So the evils of the affliction produce much good to those that love God. He adds affliction teaches. It it teaches what sin is. In the word preach, we hear what a dreadful thing sin is that it is both defiling and damning, but we fear it no more than a painted line. Therefore, God lets loose affliction, and then we feel sin bitter in the fruit of it. A sick bed often teaches us more than a sermon. We can best see the ugly vices of sin in the glass of affliction. Affliction teaches us to know ourselves. In prosperity, we are for the most part strangers to ourselves. God makes us known. God makes us known affliction that we may better know ourselves. We see that corruption in our hearts in a time of affliction. Which we would not believe was there. Water in the glass looks clear but set it on the fire, and the scum boils up. In prosperity, a man seems to be humble and thankful. The water looks clear, but set this man a little on on the fire of affliction, and the scum boils boils up. Much impatience and unbelief appear. Oh, says a Christian, I never thought I had such a bad heart. As now I see I have. I never thought my corruptions had been so strong and my graces so weak. End quote. Lamentations is a warning for us because we can do the same thing. Michael Wilcox noted he says, No Christians. And no Christian community, and I can say, add to this, no Christian church can ever truthfully say they have no sins to confess. We can become comfortable. We can become comfortable and begin to to boast about the blessings that we have of God and the privileges and not pay attention to our own symphonies. We can be more concerned about giving an outward appearance of religion while growing cold and going astray in our hearts. And we can be like those who in the time of the judges, where it says, Every man did that which was right in his own eyes. We can do the same thing. We can be give the appearance of being one church. But when we leave this church, we look like many little churches, our own churches. We do our own business our own way. We can do the same thing. Do that which is right in our own eyes. Beloved, we must examine ourselves and confront where we are waning in love. Confront our indifference. Confess where we fall short of God's standard as a congregation. And Thomas Watson, as I close, I close with his statement. When we when we are honest and and true about our state, Thomas Watson said this. He said, quote, till sin is bitter, Christ will not be sweet. Till sin is bitter, Christ will not be sweet. Let us pray. Father as we stand before you as we bow our heads and humble our hearts I pray that there if there's any sin I pray if there's any sin that is unrepented of in it, in my life first of all that you will forgive me I pray for this congregation of your people. If there is any sin that is unrepented of in their lives, I pray that through the, 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 the blood of Jesus Christ and the, the death that he died, that you would forgive them for their sins. And please, Father, we don't want you to, to visit us with your affliction. But if our hearts are hardened where we don't acknowledge the reality of sin in our lives, send it, send it where necessary. Because we don't want a God who is convenient. We want a God who is holy. A God who is just and compassionate a God who is faithful and true. And Father, wherever we have put idols in our hearts and made images of you in our heart that is true according to our own thinking but not true according to the reality of Scripture, I pray that you would forgive us. And Father, I pray that as we we leave this place, that we will remember the reality, the reality that you are a God who is get angry at sin. May we not hold on any little sin and excuse it. May we repent of it. So that we can be a people that you have chosen us to be in Christ, a people in which you have put up on the hilltop to shine as a light in this community so that the glory of Jesus Christ can be seen in every aspect of our lives, whether we are at work, in school, in our homes, uh, interacting with our friends, that the glory of Christ will be seen in our lives so that others may be drawn to him and come to him as Savior. Be with us, Father, for the sake of Christ. It's in his name I pray. Amen.